Well, um, as we go into our next journey into Hebrews, I want to recap a little bit about what we did last week. And um, who's here last week? Can you raise your hand if you're here last week? Okay. Uh, in a word, can someone give me a synopsis of last week? It's your test. Jesus, I love it. There we go. Let's move on. No, that's pretty much sums it up, does it not? I didn't expect I would get the right answer right out of the, the gate. So now I got some time to kill. No, um, Jesus. Yeah, is Lord. Jesus is what? Uh, someone said it. Enough. Jesus is enough. When we look through the first four verses, we see that the writer of Hebrews establishes a baseline of who Jesus is, and it's Jesus is God. He's not a carbon copy. He's not a knockoff. He's not the off-brand of the real thing. He is the real thing. Jesus is God. How that works, I don't know. I don't care. It does. Jesus is God, which means this. Jesus is enough. Now, the temptation is to say, well, he's God, so, you know, there's got to be a bigger word than enough. Well, we don't have a word big enough to contain God because he cannot be contained. So when you say enough, picture it without borders or boundaries. Because what we got to do is take our Christian language and kind of redefine some of the words we use to describe God to make them much bigger, meaning open-ended. Because if God loves you unconditionally, that means you can't fathom, so don't even try receive it. Now that's the hardest thing, is it not? To receive God's love. Remember, God's love doesn't have anything to do with deserves or earning. You have it. It's about receiving it and allowing that love of who he is, because he is love. Remember, 1 John 4, he is love. That is a noun. It's not just this emotional content that comes out of our lives. It's not just me going, hey, Mark, I love you, bro. You know, this and that. It's deeper and greater than that. It encompasses all life. It holds the universe together because everything was created by him and for him out of his character, which is what? Love. So Jesus is enough. He's enough. If you're getting sick of me saying that, I'm going to say it one more time. Jesus is enough. Now, we have to understand and begin to grasp that he is so that we can move forward into this book. Because if we don't begin to understand that Jesus is enough, that he's greater than every circumstances, any circumstance that you can imagine, he's greater than any feeling you've ever felt, he's greater than any obstacle, if we don't begin to fathom that and engage and wrestle with it, then we're going to have a hard time moving forward in this book because the writer is trying to move us from that foundational understanding into deeper avenues of his love and grace. Because remember, we're, the writer is dealing with a group of people that are running away, in a sense, because of persecution, discouragement, hard times, and they're going back to what they knew, and what they knew did not breathe life. So the writer starts off saying, he is the author of all life. That's why we see this 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 beautiful picture that is being painted of who Jesus is. And I'm going to start with uh, verse 4 here, going back just a little bit. And we'll move into, uh, we got several verses this morning, and we'll do our best. But what we want to do is get the heart of what uh, the writer is saying here. So starting verse 4, 
Um, if you want to follow along, I don't think it's in your insert, but the rest of the, the passage is. Uh, starting verse 4. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. Whoops, where are we here? Can I get some help? I, t- I touch with electronics and I, bad things happen. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son, today I have become your father. That is a, that is a huge statement that we see in Psalm 2. If you want to get into this deeper, you can go read the, the entire chapter uh, 2 of Psalms. You are my son, today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. What do we see in the baptism in Mark 1, 11? What do we hear God say when he's being baptized? What? This is my son and whom I'm well pleased. That is a dynamo statement. Okay? This is my son and whom I'm well pleased. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. Okay, whoa. Supreme. Now, let's, let's use the same approach we had with the word enough, supreme. So whatever you think your supreme is, and usually that's equated with nachos, but we're not doing that here, okay? Thank you for some of you laughing at that. That was a risk, okay? But it's so much greater than your definition of the word. So don't try to define it because it's just too big. Supreme son into the world, okay? So he went into a sinful world. God said, let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a, a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, this is God talking to Jesus. What does he say? Therefore, what's the, what's the phrase he uses? O God, your God has anointed you. Jesus is God. Your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy in, on you more than anyone else. He also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you will remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will, find, you will, you will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live. What's that word? What does forever mean? Whoa, can't comprehend that. We can say it. We know things just keep going and going. But when you don't have an end in sight, that makes you want to blow your brain up. Right? That's just, it's just huge. Forever. He will live forever. And God never said to any of the angels, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Okay, this is a huge passage, and we'll do our best here. But what we see is the writer reiterating that God, Jesus, is uncreated. He will live what? Forever. He always has been and always will be. Can we comprehend that? No, but that's a good thing because if we can comprehend how big God is, guess what? Not that big, right? There's got to be something outside of our understanding for him to be really God because we believe in a beginning and an end. And he says all things will perish away, but the Lord will always 
be here. He'll always remain the same. Now, we see that he's greater than the angels. And this is where one of our points today is that you have um, several verses addressing the difference between Jesus and angels. Now, why is that? Why is the writer talking to this group of people about angels? Well, if we read our Bibles and we look, we look back at the history of the Jews, what do we see? Do we see encounters with angels? Yes, we do. We do see encounters with angels. Now, if we believe in Jesus, we better believe in angels because they're his ministers. They're his servants. They're his messengers, okay? So I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer honestly, all right? No judgment here, okay? Everyone agree not to judge? All right. How many of you believe that you have seen or encountered an angel before in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. Hands down. Now, those that raise your hands, you're going to raise your hands again in a second. Giving you a second opportunity. Those of you who are like, I don't want to own that one. Okay. How many of you have seen or experienced an angel? Okay. Same amount. Very good. All right. Now, um, I'm going to share a couple of stories here. And one of them I've shared before. Maybe I've shared both of them. I don't even know. But um, when I heard growing up the existence of angels... Like, you hear it in the Bible, and you know, okay, it's probably true, but you're very suspicious about it. Who's, who's still suspicious? Anybody still suspicious sometimes? No one's going to own that one. Okay. I, I mean, even, even I, who feel, believe that I've had encounters, sometimes can go into that place of, nah, really? And I've told this story before, but I remember when I was uh, 16 years old, there was this guy, a, f- a friend of my dad's, and he would, he would come in and he was the guy that uh, had the reputation for seeing angels and knowing and sensing their presence and all this stuff. And I'm going, I mean, I'm struggling in my faith already and someone's going to come and teach me, hey, there's an angel standing behind you. Well, good. You know, (laughs) not knowing that was probably not a good move. And I remember that day going, this is just, you know, this is stupid angels really here now, maybe back then, you know, and I was like, no way. Well, a few years later, after I got out of college, I come back to church, I'm helping lead worship, I get there in the morning, this guy's there, his grandson's there, his grandson is running amok around the sanctuary, one of those kids you just want to throw in the nursery and never let them come out because they're just crazy, okay, that, you know, I'll probably be one of my kids someday, so, you know, um, anyways, I comes out, this guy says, the, the, the grandfather there says, uh, Brendan, I think there's an angel on your right side. And I come in, I come in to the sanctuary struggling with understanding God's grace, understanding it, struggling with understanding how to receive it, and afraid to ask for more of it, thinking that God hasn't already offered all of who he is to me. Thinking, God, you need to give me more of this, more of that. And so I'm dealing with that. So Here's supposedly an angel next to me. I'm going, whatever. And he calls his grandson over, who apparently sees angels. Now I'm getting really, like, fed up, okay? You ever been in a bad mood, and then you hear this nonsense, and it just makes it worse? Anyone ever feel like that? Oh, my gosh. What do you want to do in your mind? (laughs) Right? The good old backhand, you know? And so that's how I was feeling. So kid comes up. Grandpa says to the kid, hey, Cody, there's an angel next to Brendan. Does he have something for him? 
well, let me go check, Grandpa. And so he runs up to the altar, and he's sitting there like this, and now I'm really rolling my eyes because of all the drama going on. Really, he's got to run to the altar and get on his knees and, you know, do this thing. Seriously, what are we, what's going on? Then he beelines to me. His countenance changes. He looks at me, and he goes, Brendan. And I'm like, saying that with a little authority. We don't even know each other, dude. It's like, Brendan. And he spoke with such clarity. This is what was crazy. He says, there is an angel indeed next to you. I'm like, what six-year-old kid says indeed? (laughs) And he says, he has a gift for you. I said, really? What's his gift? He said, his gift is grace. He has the gift of grace for you, and he wants you to wrestle with learning how to receive it. I sit there, and I want to punt the kid across the room, because he just read my mail. And I sat there crying. I walk away from that, and I'm just, and then, you know, you, once you experience something like that, whether there's an angel or not there, I don't know. I'm going to say there is, because there's no way, right? It's just crazy. But then you get enough distance from the situation, and you begin to explain it away. Anyone ever done that? So God clearly reveals himself. Even the disciples did that. God clearly revealed himself, and we explained it away. Well, the same year, okay, the same year, I'm still struggling. Okay, lost the girl I thought I was going to marry, and I, she didn't die. She just went off with some other guy. So when I, I used the wrong words that are lost, like she died. Um, I felt that way, though. And I, I remember crying out to the Lord. I show up for church again in the, early in the morning. It's pitch black. No one's there yet. I'm setting up the instruments. Okay, and so, um, or I'm about to set up the instrument, instruments. I said, Lord, I cry out in the, you know, in the sanctuary. No one's there yet. I said, when do you even have someone for me? What is going on? I'm just, just driving me nuts. I'm hurting. Ah, 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 you know. And in walks this woman, never seen her before in my life. It's early in the morning, walks straight down, hands me a piece of paper, leaves, don't see her again. Thought I saw a glimpse of her one other time, but never saw her again. And I opened that piece of paper and I hit the floor. And it says, it says, as God speaking to me, Brendan, I'm hearing your cry and I have a wife for you. You just need to abide in me and I will abide in you. And a month later, I met my wife, Shannon. Well, what do you do with that? Right? Do angels exist? I'm going to go with yes, based off that. But what can happen? Now, this gets to our point here. There's a reason why there's a contrast the writer is making between angels and um, Jesus. Because what can happen, especially in that culture, is that when you have these encounters with angels, they're an angelic representation of who God is, but we can get lost in the glam and the wow factor, and we can begin almost worshiping that encounter with an angel instead of worshiping the God who sent the angel. I know because I was doing that. This angel came. Well, who sent the angel? The one who loves me. More than anyone could love anyone. But I I had trouble seeing that. Angels are not bad. They're good things. But they are not meant to be worshipped because it says here, they worship the Son of God. As we are to worship the Son of God. So, the writer saying, you can't hold anyone above who he is. There's a reason why the writer explained how great God is. 
and still couldn't paint a good enough picture, and this is one of the best pictures I've ever seen painted of Jesus, <laughs> other than him on the cross, but someone describing how infinitely big he is paints us a pretty good picture that is too small. Can you imagine that? With using words like, he is the son of God. All things were created in him and through him. All things hold together. And that's not a good enough picture? No, because God is too big. And we can't get caught up in worshiping these small things because they are also created beings. So Jesus has authority of all things, okay? Created. Everything was created by him and for him. Guess who else is an angel? The enemy. And Jesus is greater than him. Another point to be made, that Jesus is way greater. Now, when Scripture starts repeating things in a passage, that's a writer saying to you, pay attention. If you repeat something to your kids, you want them to know, right? I'm going to be honest with you. The thing I'm repeating right now, does everyone have like, something they're repeating to someone? Okay? Mine right now is don't go poopy in your pants. That's mine. Just being real. True story, right? To my daughter who's now, and I got to repeat it over. She got it now because she knows it's important because I've reiterated it over and over and over. Don't do that. Don't do that. And so now she looks at me. She goes, I got to go potty, but not my pants. She's amazing. But you repeat something when you want to get the point across, when it has some significance. What we see here in verse 3 is Jesus, after his work is finished, the purification of sins, as his work is finished, he sits where? The right hand of the Father, the seat of honor. He's sitting on the throne. Then we see in verse 13, someone read it to me. Someone bold, read me verse 13. Oh, we got a few people. Keep going. Keep going. Right. Which, to which of the angels did he say, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, make him a footstool of your feet? Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Okay, so we see in verse 3 and we see in verse 13 the same imagery of Jesus sitting on the throne in the seat of honor. Now this is what I think can be missed in this passage is that remember, if Jesus is love, if God is love and love is God, okay, what we see is the ramifications of that with Jesus on the throne because you don't sit down unless you're done with what you're doing in this context. Jesus sat down because it was finished. It was complete. He had freed us from sin, which was the fear of death. Now we have life. So he sits down on the right side of the Father, which means this. Love was in action. Now we use love in the Christian culture almost like it's nothing sometimes, right? God loves you all. He loves me. And we talk about this love and, oh, we're all about love, all about love. Our picture is too small. The fact that he sat down was because he completed the ultimate act of his character. He came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, and he bled on the cross, experiencing separation from the Father for the first time in eternity because of love for you. 
Not just love for us, but you individually. Who you are. So when you think he's about, and, and remember that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, it is an act that love was in action and completed on the cross and in the resurrection. Now, that has huge, huge, huge implications. Huge, and I'm going to tell you why in a second, because here's the deal. As tempting as it is, we love to live by a moral code or strive to because it gives us some sense of knowing if we've achieved anything. I know I am. I, I want to know I'm doing a good job. Who wants to know they're doing a good job? I don't really know anyone who doesn't. How many get insecure about what you do and say and feel and this and man, right? We're, we're the most insecure creatures on the planet. We really are. And we have no reason to be. Because what happens is when we make the love of God become a living for God and a moral code, and I'm not saying we do bad things. That's not what I'm saying. But when we live for the moral code, then we're looking at value and significance in what we do instead of who we are. And once you look outside of Jesus, once we look outside of Jesus, who he is completely and fully and how he sees us for our value and significance, we're going to miss him. And it's not like we do it on purpose. But I can't tell you how many times I miss it. Every Sunday morning I miss it because I'm going, I hope I do a good job today. And it rarely has to do with if I'm going to honor him. At least the immediate feeling. It's like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to let people down. I don't want to let him down. But I already have my value and significance secure because he sees me and he knows me. He calls me my name and I was made in the image of love itself. So nothing can take me outside of the love of God. I can choose not to be with him, but he loves me. That's what I want to get across. He loves me. Now, a few weeks ago, or months ago, I don't even know. This man right here, who I take my haircut after, <laughs> ruined me by showing me a clip. Well, he showed us all this clip from that, that uh, Christian movie Ragamuffin off of, based off of, right, Ragamuffin? Okay. Based off of uh, Rich Mullen's life. Anyone seen that? Heard of it? Okay. I cried through it, and I usually don't like Christian movies because they're not really done all that well because they don't get a great budget, and I'm a movie buff, so I like, I'm always critiquing. I'm never listening to really what the message is, but I saw this clip of Brendan Manning. Who's heard of Brendan Manning, the pastor uh, who just passed a couple years ago? And I see this actor saying these things that I've never heard say in a Christian movie before about the love of God. And about cutting through all the morality for a moment so that we can see fully really what he cares about. And us knowing that we are loved. And so I heard that and I just found myself late at night watching this ragamuffin movie. And it was really bizarre because I was looking over my left and my, well, wait, left, left, right. <laughs> Is anyone watching me watch this movie? You know? And I'm by myself in my house, and <laughs> stupid. So I'm watching this, and I'm, I see this all again, and then I'm like, I've got to hear more about him. I've got to read more about what's happening, because it's not that it's fancy. It's not flashy. It's not, wow, that was really cool and slick. It was straight up Rocky Balboa. Do you know what I mean by that? 
It ain't pretty necessarily, but it's punch you in the mouth reality and truth that you cannot avoid and will not go down. And he says, love is the center of all things. I was watching him over and over and over again, all these different messages. And the real fun ones are the ones when he's in his 70s and 80s because he can't, can't really talk well, but he still preaches it as if he is, he is so loved by God, which he is, that everyone needs to know what he knows. And that's what captivates you because you see a man that knows the love of God and knows that he doesn't know it fully. And I think that, man, it just blew my mind. So I'm, I'm listening to this and I, I can't help but cry and cry and cry. And then you start judging yourself for how much you're crying, right? I need soul care. I'm crying too much, right? You think that, but you're like, oh no, that's a healthy thing because God was cutting to the quick of my own heart. So I started thinking about this because he says something very poignant. Any people pleasers in here? <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, yeah. He says something very poignant. Most of you heard it when he said it, but when you hear the entire context of the message, and I, I would encourage you to listen to this stuff. He says, God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because no one is as they should be. Now we hear that, and I'm going, man, that's amazing. But what he says after, what he says after completes it. Because when we begin to fully understand who we are in that love, then that transforms us. So he doesn't say, he doesn't leave it at that, you know, we're not as we should be, we never will be, so don't, don't allow God's love to captivate you and change your actions. He doesn't say that. He says quite the opposite that when we begin to explore the depths of the love of God, it transforms us in way, ways that we don't have on our agenda. I want to be better at this. I want to be better at that. I want to do this better. I want to live like this better. Well, guess what? When we fully step into the value and significance that we have, God begins to trigger places and change places we, that weren't even on our radar. And we begin to love more deeply. We begin to feel more deeply and see the kingdom the way he wants us to see the kingdom. Now, I can, this seems simplistic because it is. It is. God doesn't need to complicate us. The most important thing, the reason why you're created and I'm created is for one purpose only, before all the tasks come in. But from the beginning of our creation, humanity's creation, it was so that we would be loved. Your purpose is to be loved. You want the keys to the kingdom? Jesus loves us. We're called to, to learn how to receive his love. Now, I was um, in a Life Together group. I'm in a Life Together group with a couple of pastors from around the country. And um, one of the guys in it is a guy you guys know, Mike Bradley. And he, uh, every once in a while, will send a question to ask us. And you ever had a question that you were asking, like, that was kind of lame and tacky? Especially when it's in, in the, what's in it, it's in the tone of like, this question was meant to be profound, right? <laughs> you know, and someone will say something profound, they'll look at you and you're like, God had a cool robe, didn't he? <laughs> right? And you're like, what? Right? Okay, take that. Okay. That's how I was feeling. I hear this question. He asks it to everyone. And I says, pretend Jesus is talking to you. And I'm like, I do that all the time. Okay. And he says, son, 
this is what I want, blank, for 2015. And I'm like, really? That's the question. So I said, he said, will you please pray into it? I'm like, okay, I'll pray into it as a courtesy. Who's done that? Courtesy. Courtesy prayer. <laughs> will you pray into this? Yeah. So I uh, started praying into it, and I heard something very clear. And I think it's key to this passage. It's key to the tone of this book. I heard the Lord say to me very clearly, Brendan, I want you to receive more deeply and more fully than you ever have before. And I'm going, well, what does that mean? You know, and immediately I'm going, I need to receive the opportunities that Mark offers to pay for me for coffee and lunch. Because we fight over that, right? We do. I, nope, nope. Then I heard this phrase, and it was the same phrase that I heard Brendan Manning say, and I'm going to yell it at you because that's how I heard it in my head. So if you have great hearing and it's going to hurt your ears, cover them, you know, and if you don't hear very well, then you'll hear me for the, probably the first time. Here it is. What am I supposed to rele- receive, Lord? I want you to receive more deeply and more fully the furious love I have for you. Furious. A fury, all-encompassing. When you look at a forest fire, what do you see? You see something moving fast, burning everything up in its path. It's awe. It's just complete awe because of the power of the consume, the, how it consumes everything in its path. And God was telling me, I want you to receive my love like I'm a moving fire in a forest and you cannot run from me. That's what I want from you. This is what the writer wants from these people is to understand you cannot outrun the living God. Jesus is the living God. He's more than enough. He is enough. I just said exactly what I didn't want to say. He is enough. Jesus is enough. He's greater than any angel, any angelic uh, encounter you've had. He's greater than any Dalai Lama saying or um, Gandhi saying, any of that. He puts it all to shame. There's nothing that can come out of anyone's mouth or actions that is greater than that of Jesus. Nothing. And I'm looking at this 80-year-old guy on his deathbed, actually. They did an interview with Brendan Manning And to his last breath, his last breath, his only goal was to receive more fully the love of God. Now that may seem like an elementary message or an elementary thought. It is. Because it's the foundation of everything we do. If it's if how we move and how we minister doesn't come out of our value and significance as one who is deeply more loved by God than you can possibly fathom. We're going to miss it. And if we don't or cannot see that the love of God is central to everything, we probably shouldn't continue any further into Hebrews. Because Hebrews, the letter to Hebrews wants to take us deeper into that love, more fully into that. And we have to be open to receive that. And that's the hardest thing, isn't it? Isn't that the challenge we have? Because our, experience is, our experiences shape how we see God. 
Our experiences with people sometimes tell us how much we think we're loved. And when we're not loved by people, we project that onto God. How could he love me? Has anyone had that question other than me? I'm going to wait here until... Huh? Has anyone felt at one point, you know, does God love me? Yeah. That's the question. If this doesn't show you that you have the greatest significance in all of existence, outside of who God is, and we're in big trouble because you, not just all of us, but you personally, are so dearly loved by God, it's the greatest message we can preach with our lives because it's the only one that matters. Because you can't lead anyone into freedom if you don't understand what the freedom is. The freedom is the love of God. To know that you are loved so deeply, so profoundly, you can't put it into words, frees you from the shackles that bind you. That's why he says, come to me. The only way through the Father is through the Son. That's the message he has for us. Gosh, I, you know, one of the craziest things about this guy, he's on my mind, so that's why I'm talking about him a lot right now, is that if you read his bio... You, you think he made it up. <laughs> you really do. I mean, this guy spent like seven months by himself in a cave in the Middle East somewhere where he didn't see a soul for six months just so he could pray and learn to receive the love of God. He put himself into prison, the only the warden knew, so that he could understand the broken, so that he could receive more fully the love of God. Hopefully, we won't have to do that because it's right here. You are a product of the love of God. It's right here. We don't need to go to a cave. We don't need to go into a prison to know that we are loved. We go to those places out of love so people can receive that love, but we don't need to go there to prove that we're loved. We don't need to do that anymore. What he did was good. and It was totally good because it helps us. He brings the message back and says, look, this is what matters. And I dare you to find anything greater than the love of God because... In, in, the, in Scripture, because that's what it's all about. And guess what? When we, get to, when we get to really begin to wrestle with the love of God and receive it more, then every relationship we have gets better. And then we can really begin to love our enemies because we know what that's about. Because our enemies are loved as much as we are by God, as much as we don't want to admit it sometimes. Before we close, I'm just, this is a different direction than first service, but I want to ask this because I can only share with you what I feel the Lord leading in my heart. And I was praying about this. I said, Lord, I want to receive the love of God. I want to receive your love more fully. What does that mean? And I want you to think about this as the worship team comes up. If Jesus is enough, if he's truly enough, and I'm thinking about the people that I have trouble loving, if he's, if he's enough, I don't need an apology from those that have hurt me. I don't, need, I don't need them to let me off the hook. I don't need this. I don't need that because I know that I'm loved. And I know someone in my life right now who I can tell you I hate, and it's hard for me to say, and this person's in my family, and they've done so much damage in my life, 
I will tell you right now, I hate this person. What? That's how I feel. And I, the Lord has had to capture my heart, and he has with this. Do you know how deeply I love you? Because I love that person just as much as I love you, and they need to know my love. They treat you that way because they don't know my love. They haven't received my love. And it is on us to receive it in such a way that we see the people in front of us as ones that Jesus died for and not our enemy. And I hate saying that because I know I'm going to have to love this person and I know I'm going to have to engage them and I'm terrified. But that's okay because the Lord is my strength and that's okay because I'm not alone in it. I know every single person here probably has someone in their lives and it could be yourself it's hard to receive and it's hard to love but it's our call to be loved and to love others right the greatest commandment love your God with all you got as one person said and love your neighbor as yourself there's a reason why he says there's no greater commandment than that because it's the essence of who I am, says the Lord. It's who I am. So, easy task? Yeah. All right? But it's important that we build this baseline and foundation as we continue to walk through this book because this book's going to challenge us. It, I, has anyone been reading it outside of the Sunday morning? Has it challenged you at all yet? My goodness. I'm afraid to read further, even though I've read it so many times. But I know it's coming. The greatest challenge in life is going to allow ourselves to be loved by God. It's very hard. But it's what he calls us to. And I'm going to have the worship team as we pray into the offering. Um, continue back to that song. There's no one else for me, none but Jesus. No one else for me, none but Jesus. So, as we um, enter this time of worship, just ask this question, or however you want to frame it. Lord, show me how to receive more deeply and fully the love, your love, who you are that creates all things, holds all things together, changes the atmosphere, changes the heart, heals the broken Lord show me how to receive your love more fully so that I may love more fully so I bless you in Jesus name with the courage to receive the love of God it will wreck your world for the better it will change everything it will throw it upside down I don't care if you've been you know, walking with the Lord all your life, there's always more. He's greater, He's greater, He's greater. There's always more that we can receive and experience. So this word is for everyone, young and old in Jesus. It is for everyone that we are to receive the love of God more deeply and fully because He wants to reveal Himself. He wants to reveal more and more and more and more and more and more and more. So we thank you, Lord. I pray that you would bless the offering this morning as we give to you. We 
love you. Use it for your kingdom purposes. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.